0: Tools for Living, Room to Grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, Episode 123. If you've been a Christian very long, you've probably noticed we Christians are far from perfect. And even though the Church, the body of Christ, is meant to be a reflection of our Savior to the world. Well, we don't always accurately represent His love and His grace. Rather than being a place of healing and restoration, for many people, the Church has been a place of judgment and pain. In today's episode of The Living Room, author and pastor's kid, Natalie Runyon, talks about her book, Raised to Stay, persevering in ministry when you have a million reasons to walk away. Oh, you guys, this is so good. I hope you'll share it with a friend. Well, it's such a privilege to have Natalie Runyon with us in the living room. She's the author of Raised to Stay. This powerful book is Persevering in Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away. And oh my goodness, Natalie, this is such a powerful book. Welcome to the living room.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yes. Oh, we've been having technical difficulties over the last couple of days, but it's given us a chance to get to know each other more. And I love your heart for the church. And I just, I love the story behind this book and how God has redeemed a really painful time. And is it using it to actually bring healing to other people who have maybe been hurt by the church? Can you tell us a little bit about it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I grew up as a pastor's kid in the church, which I know a lot of us who grew up in the church, we all have our own stories. We have our own journeys. And mine was just unique because I was a pastor's kid. You know, I grew up in church parsonages. We were part of small bodies for the most part. And so we were very close. The church was very close to my family and myself. And so I wanted that. I wanted to go into ministry once I got into my twenties and I had planned on going to a Christian college. And then my senior year in high school, Something happened that was probably the worst church hurt I had seen up to that point. And one Sunday we showed up and were told, it's your last Sunday. And we had to pack up the parsonage and we had to move without any explanation. And it really broke my heart as a church kid who loved the church and changed my life. I was supposed to go to Christian college, thought, hey, if this is church, no, thank you. Ended up at a very public university. And it was just this moment of wandering for me. It was five years really of looking out over my life and saying, Do I believe in this or do my parents believe in this? And through that wandering, I came to know a Jesus that was truly loving and kind and gracious and compassionate. And it has spawned me on to the next 25 years of where we are now really trying to encourage my friends and my peers to not give up on Jesus, uh, to not give up on the church and to keep contending for this unity of a unified church. And so that's where I find myself now is looking back over all the hard and seeing that there really was a hope in the holy that was Mm -hmm. waiting for me once I overcame some of that hurt that uh, I had experienced as a child.
0: Yeah. You know, I just feel like in some ways, Maybe it's always been, but I think especially in these last several decades, it feels like the enemy has really targeted. It's he's gone to the very center of the body of Christ, where it used to be a little bit of more peripheral, you know. And we said, "Oh, if you just stay in fellowship, then everything's going to be wonderful." And Instead, like the enemy has gone to the center of the flock, the pillars of the church, to try to bring discord and disunity. And, and there's a lot of hurt people out there, not, not just lay people, but ministers, and not just ministers, but lay people. What have you found in this journey?
1: I mean, I'm traveling all over the uh, well soon world to different churches. And when I do altar calls, when I do prayer times, and I say, if you've been hurt by the church or hurt by a leader, and not just hurt, but if you've been abused, or if you're simply carrying an offense, and I say simply because it's not abuse or hurts, but it's still heavy. And I say that 90% of the room is at the altar wanting prayer, which tells me that That probably represents most of the church evangelical world when we're looking at sample sizes, is if 90% of the room is coming forward saying, hey, I've experienced some sort of hurt, disappointment, abuse, then that tells me we have a lot of work to do. At the same time, I see really healthy leaders stepping into positions in churches and helping to change the narrative for some of those who have been wounded. So it's also really encouraging because as we're watching people be healed, we're seeing them entering into healthy communities. So it's it's both and. There's a healing, and then there's also a willingness to come back into community.
0: And I think you hit it on the head. There's a willingness to come back into community. Uh, Unfortunately, there's some people out there that have been so wounded that they're not just walking away from the church Many of them are walking away from their faith. They're calling it the deconstruction of their Christianity, which for many of them is just the complete obliteration. And yet, I think like you say, there are some good things that are coming out of this in that we're, I think, looking at issues maybe we haven't been willing to look at, talk about things that really need to be talked about. I, I've just been asking the Lord, how do we get back to the true good news of the gospel, I mean, what it was really all about from the very beginning.
1: It, this whole deconstruction movement isn't wrong. I mean, I honestly think people have been like detangling from religion from the beginning of time. I think when you meet the Pharisees, you you see how religion um, was harmful in some situations detangle from some of the heavy religious stuff that we have put on each other and to cling to the true Word of God. But in order for us to know the Word of God, we have to read the Word of God. We have to be in community with those reading the Word of God. So the first thing I want to say to church leaders is when you hear somebody is deconstructing, deconstructing and deconversion are not the same thing. Somebody can deconstruct without Jesus. But the danger is, if there's no framework in place to help them rebuild on a foundation of Jesus Christ, then it's destruction. And so Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to panic when a family member or a friend tells you they're deconstructing. That's an invitation to ask a lot of questions. And really what they're asking is not for you to solve their problems. They're asking for you to do the one ministry we're not really great at, and that's listening.
0: Mm, so true. So true. But how do we do that, Natalie? I mean, how do we how do we ask the questions and actually really listen rather than kind of defaulting to fear like, oh, I've got to <laughs> fix this person?
1: We have to remember that God is not panicking. God doesn't panic. And we can't panic either. I think we panic when other people wander because we've heard the horror stories of the people who leave church and don't ever come back or who leave church and then end up leaving Jesus. And if that's the case, then that's something that you know we all have to reconcile within ourselves, that we've done our part in discipling, we've done our part in loving, but ultimately we're not the ones who can change people's mm. minds about whether or not they love Jesus or the church. And It's not really ours to manage. And I think we as church people, we like to control the narrative. And the other thing that we do is we try to defend the church. We try to say, oh, no, I know that happened there, but that's not going to happen here. And I know that leader did that to you, but these leaders aren't. Well, the truth is they might. And so we can't keep making all of these empty promises, trying to defend God's institution. God is the one who will defend his church. Our job is to love God and love people. And I think it's really easy for us to get that kind of in the back of our mind, even though it's the very first commission, the mission that God has given us, is to remember that our job is to love, It's to love, to listen, to lean in, and then let God do the holy and hard work of wooing them back to Himself. And we don't get to decide how that happens. We don't get to decide when the prodigals come home. We just get the opportunity to pray for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We had our own little journey through some church hurt, and um, as pastors had the privilege of loving a church for uh, 15 years. Just really kind of 13 years, I'd say, of of it was Pastor Shangri-La, like just amazing God stuff all over the place. But then, of course, just like we talk about the enemy gets in there because he hates unity, and I think sometimes we need to understand that we do have an enemy that it isn't just truly isn't just flesh and blood that the enemy hates God, and so he really targets god's children, and he knows God loves unity, so he does everything he can to disrupt it in every any way. but the one good thing that came out of that time and And, you know, I've talked about it on the podcast before uh, of just where, you know, we began to love our opinions more than we loved each other. And, but the good thing for me was it began to kind of confound my need to have nice and tidy answers, you know, to actually make room for other people's opinions that didn't see eye-to-eye with me, and to really believe that maybe if we don't see eye-to-eye, we both need to lay down our opinions and find out what God thinks. But I'm curious. I want to hear more about your story and how God began to woo you back to Himself and then back to the Church.
1: I got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ at college, and it ended up being a lifesaver in a lot of ways because it wasn't people. Grown up with it, wasn't one denomination. It was a lot of people who had wrestled with faith, who were still wrestling with faith. Uh, they had different rules. You know, I grew up thinking that alcohol was the unforgivable sin. And somehow these church people that I, I was meeting were able to drink at 21 and they had found some loophole that I didn't know about. And our faith was being impacted by being a college student and not being in our homes anymore. And it was Campus Crusade for Christ that showed me I had the heart of a worship leader. And I just want to encourage parents, if your kids go to a a secular college, guess what? It might be the safest place for them because some of those campus ministries are powerful. And it's where I fell back in love with Jesus, learning how to evangelize, learning how to tell my story, learning how to testify in a 300-room you know, different classroom where I was literally having to fight for my life and my faith in a, a room full of atheists. And that's where I started to meet. Jesus in my quiet times, journaling, reading the word. And then when I graduated, I had a kinesiology degree, which wasn't ministry. And (laughs) I ended up teaching and I was spending time with students and hearing their stories. And I started to fall in love with people all over again Mm -hmm. before I even went back into the church. And what was so comforting about that season was that I realized that my heart wasn't made of stone, that I really did love people. I really did love Jesus. It just was going to take me a little bit to trust to go back onto a church staff again. And it wasn't until I was probably 33 that I was able to quit all of the other jobs that I was doing and go full-time back into ministry. And that was a season of trust, of learning like, hey, I might get hurt again. I might go through something similar to what my parents went through, but I have fallen so in love with the Lord and so in love with His people that that risk is worth the reward that's on the other side.
0: Mm, I love that so much. You know, I think I think sometimes we don't understand that there is a gift in adversity. <laughs> you know, yeah. it really is. I mean, I look back at my life and the the most supercharged times in my faith and the Actually, my character was not getting what I wanted. And, you know, I think sometimes in the Christian walk, we think that, well, if we're in God's will, it should always be easy. And yet, you know, that doesn't even line up with scripture. You know, that's not how it works. God uses, He uses the, the hardships of life, but even these interpersonal things, you know, I think of of Paul and Silas, you know, who were such a powerhouse, and yet it was it was a disagreement. That actually doubled the work of the ministry. And so I I wonder sometimes if a lot of this, this doesn't come down to that part of the thing we need to work on is handling conflict better in the church. What have you discovered about that?
1: Well, I wish I could say that at 18 years old, that was the only miraculous and awesome and a wonderful story. But it was actually in my late 30s and early 40s where I experienced some of the toughest ministry season of my entire life. And I really wanted to quit. I didn't want to stay. My family had moved across the country. We were in this new assignment it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I was under a very toxic leader and I was begging my husband, like, take us home. Why are we still here? Why are we still doing this? And this is why spouses are so wonderful, especially those who aren't in ministry with us. They're kind of set apart from it. Um, and he was just standing in the kitchen that night as I'm crying to go home. And he said, Natalie, I think we owe it to the Lord to see why he brought us here. Hmm. Like what he wants to do with this pain, what he wants to do. And I'm thinking, well, that's easy for you to say you're not in it every day. Um, but he was right. Raised to stay was birthed from that mm-hmm. season of wanting to quit. And had I just screamed and got in my way and said, take me home. And he did. We would have never seen the fruit of that hard season. So the good news about difficult seasons is that if we're still connected to the vine, good fruit can come from it. Yes and yet that is birthed in the
0: anvil and the fire. I I totally know what you're talking about. You know, again, like it we've had some wonderful, glorious, fruitful seasons of ministry, but there have also been those hard ones, and especially when you know you're with people who you love, and and they love you. But I, I like what my friend Donna Parto she says that she calls it the porcupine state of mind. You know where where we just we intend good, but we hurt one another. As you've been kind of researching and hearing the stories of different people, and and learning how to stay the course, how has forgiveness been part of your healing?
1: It's so crazy how, like, our healing journeys aren't linear, right? Like, everything comes and goes as the Lord offers um, different grace for different seasons. And forgiveness has been a tricky one for me because I don't, won't speak for everyone, but I, I feel like when I say that I have forgiven someone, like, I really believe it until something hits me the wrong way or something is said. And I realize that there's still a deep work that still has to be done. And when I was, gosh, I was probably 40. I was still living in Colorado. The church that hurt my family um, so badly when I was 18, the new pastors of that church were in my youth group at that time. And now they're Mm. pastoring this church. And they called me and they said, Hey, would you like to come lead worship? We're having a 100 year anniversary and we're inviting everybody back who has been part of the church. And we know you lead worship. Would you like to come? And like my first instinct was no, why would I come back? Like, I have forgotten about that. It's not part of my life anymore. And I realized after several days of praying that the Lord was inviting me into something. Mm
0: -hmm. And I
1: flew up back home to Cincinnati. I went. And as I was leading worship on that platform with all of those people in that room who were there the day that my parents and I and my sister were asked to leave, As I'm standing up there and the pastor is introducing us and he gets to me and he says, this is Natalie. Her dad was one of our favorite pastors to ever pastor this church. And the Mm. whole room went up into applause. (laughs) And I realized they were just as confused as I was. Like they were not part of this. Like It was one or two people who made this bad decision and they were all collateral damage. And the Lord really reminded me, they never hated me. They never were unhappy with me. They loved us. They were devastated. And it was Mm -hmm. after that service that I got off the platform and everybody's hugging me and they're saying things like, tell your daddy, he was my favorite hunting buddy and tell your mom, we miss her cooking and tell your mom, we miss her singing. And it was all of this like giant family reunion and so much forgiveness happened in that evening. And Mm -hmm. it was 28 years later. And I think a lot of us for, we, we tend to quit before the miracle. We know know that God is a God of reconciliation. First, He reconciles us to Himself and then to one another. And I think a lot of us, we think we've forgiven until something happens and we're just so quick to take our toys and go home. Um, But true reconciliation, true forgiveness is supernatural. And it's always an invitation to us. It's just, are we ready to receive it?
0: Yeah. Well, I think forgiveness is really hard because we feel like somehow if we were to forgive, we were saying that what— They did didn't matter, right? And you know, or that we're somehow we. I know for me in my own journey towards forgiveness, um, what what had happened for us was. Uh, again, we'd had this wonderful grown with our church. It was just a beautiful time, but but again, just you know how the enemy got in and just caused discord in leadership, and it was a small handful who weren't happy with how my husband was doing things, and all, that kind of you know how it happens. And um, on our tenth anniversary, the church had sent us to Hawaii. And on our 15th anniversary, one of the board members got up and asked for our resignation. And, you know, I had to realize at that moment, okay, this is not like they searched the calendar to find out what time was going to hurt us the most. This was the enemy who's like, I, I'm i going to take them out and I'm going to do it in the most painful way possible. And so, you know, there was that initial initial challenge, like, Joanna, are you going to let this get into your spirit, or are you going to forgive? And it was an ongoing, I call it hammering out forgiveness, because just when you've got one side of the room hammered down, hammered down the carpet, you know, you get to the other, and it's coming up over here. And so it is this process, and yet the process, I think, is so important because I've realized that the call and the invitation to forgiveness is really a call to healing. Yeah. Because I don't know about you, but it wasn't until I could forgive, like forgive from my heart. And it was that, layers. Like I always think of it like an onion, like God deals with one layer and then He points to another. And, yeah. and as I let Him do that, more and more freedom comes. How, how was it for your parents in their journey of forgiveness?
1: they've been slower in that you know my dad had a massive heart attack you know at car dealer for a bit um he was invited back to pastor a church a few years later he did so but then he had this heart attack and after the heart attack it was kind of just too much stress for him to continue on so most of his post Preaching life has been in schools working with autism children, and it's Uh been really neat to see how Pastor Ron um, pastors these families and these unique spaces. But when we moved to Colorado, they came with us, and my dad ended up getting hired on along with my mom to work in the kids' ministry. My dad worked with special needs students and my mom in the nursery ministry, and to see that they still had pastoral care in them. They still had that title of pastor. They still had that desire to shepherd the sheep. It was brilliant because it gave them an opportunity opportunity to do so in an environment that wasn't so stressful as being the lead pastors. And even now we just moved back to Cincinnati, Kentucky area. And my dad preached for the first time on Sunday, um, his first sermon behind a pulpit in years. And everybody was just raving about how strong he was, how um, just anointed he was, and I know it's still in him. It's still there, it's still part of who he is. And part of their healing journey has been going back. And so he's actually back at the church that hurt them, the one that I talked mm-hmm. about. Um, and he is helping to mentor the new pastor.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs>
0: I love, I love how God full circles things, you know. It doesn't always follow the timeline that we think, but he is so, so, so faithful. Yes. Well, you talk about so many things in Raised to Stay, and especially for those people who who have been wounded, who find themselves kind of building walls um, around their hearts to protect themselves. What would you say to that young ministry woman who's just maybe right at that point where she's like, I don't know if I can do this anymore?
1: You're in good company. Honestly, I mean all of us have days where we're like, no, this is not what I want to be doing. I should just be a Starbucks barista or a stay-at-home mom. I mean, we all have those. And and when the seasons are long, it feels very isolating. It feels lonely. It feels like we're by ourselves and I want to first of all say yes, absolutely. This is hard, and I don't blame you for wanting to quit and do something easier. But the Lord has equipped and called you to stay in this position, and just like the disciples and the apostles had to, you know, decide in that early church of Acts that they weren't going to move, that they were going to remain in position. We have to put our heels into and say, look, no matter what the enemy tries to throw at me, I know I'm called to the space. I know I'm called to these people, and if not these people. He's going to call me to different people and to not let the enemy get a foothold in that offense and in the fear, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of women, we do become fearful. Is this going to happen to me again? Is this going to happen to my kids? And Am I going to be, you know, are my kids going to end up in counseling in 10 years? And the answer to that is probably yes, because all of our kids are probably going to end (laughs) up in counseling at some point. Um, but, you know, our, our families are watching for our obedience. God is looking for our obedience. And we know obedience is greater than sacrifice. Um, and so it's okay that you're tired. I love a good counselor. I also love a good night watching rom com on, you know, Netflix. There are ways for us to be human and ways for us to be women that aren't in ministry. And I think sometimes we just put so much on ourselves and so much expectation that is not necessary. And just to hear that we're not alone, I hope. Um, you know, comfort some of you just to hear that you are not the only woman to question if you want to keep going, um, and to continue to pursue community and to not try to do it alone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think of. Again, how the enemy works—he never takes out just one; he wants to take out many. And so, we've got a lot of a lot of Christians that have become disillusioned with the church, and it's—and they can trace it back to hurt from ministry leaders. And so, you know, again, it's not—it's not us against them as ministry girls; it's not them against us as lay people. It's—it's it's the enemy wanting to take out of the body of Christ and using the bait of Satan, offense. Or, or legitimate hurt. Uh, you know, one of the things that I read somewhere was that mismanaged hurt is the number one reason that people are leaving the church and leaving ministry. One of the things I've really appreciated about your ministry, Natalie, is that although you—, you talk to ministry leaders about, you know, raised to stay and and being willing to, to stick it out through tough times with the Lord's help. You also challenge us to a higher standard, and I've appreciated that. I know it hasn't always been comfortable for you. Um, I love that you love the body of Christ, and I love that you love its shepherds. But I think that that doesn't mean that we close a blind eye to some of the things that we could be doing better. And um, what do you feel, like, as just the body of Christ as a whole, both the shepherds and the flocks, what are some of the things that maybe we've gotten caught up in that have been less than God's best for us? And how do we get back on track?
1: I think starting with just some of the ways that we've modeled our church after the world, it's very confusing. And I know that there needs to be order. I know that we need to have hierarchy and we need to have protocols and procedures. But the minute we started putting worldly processes onto holy ground— it just felt like it got mucky and i think that's been happening for probably 30 years where 30 to 40 years where we've had ceos and cfos and now there's like this whole layer of people that you have to get to to even talk to your pastor and this lack of of relationship between the pastor and his staff and the pastor and his congregants and when we start to act like the world it really does shepherd and allow us to have access to the voice of the one who is leading the church. And so I know for a lot of staff, their number one challenge is, how do we support a pastor? We don't know. How do we support a staff mm-hmm. that we're not in community with? Um, and that's because we have put in all of these precautions to protect the pastor who now we even know if he has accountability. And then we wonder why shepherds fall when there's no accountability that's coming and we can't see it. So that's number one. Number two, I've noticed that a lot of our staff, when they have brought things to the attention of an HR um, you know, department or to their um, overseers, that they have been labeled as gossip or divisive for coming and saying, look, I don't think this behavior is healthy. I don't think that we should be doing this as the church. When they bring those things forward, they are now seen as the problem rather than leadership really leaning in and listening to them. And look, if it's nothing, it's nothing, but what if it's something? And I I do a whole series on, you know, there are reasons why your staff would rather quit than contend for healthy culture. And a Mm -hmm. lot of it is because they're afraid, they're fearful. Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to end up out on the streets? Am I going to get a bad you know, recommendation? And so I think that when we start to place importance on some positions like they do in the world, when we um, don't allow access to our shepherds, not 24-7, but within reason, and when we are no longer operating in that unity we were talking about, this is where all of those vain imaginations and high things and offenses can start to take root because we're not communicating. Um, and so I know that sounds bleak right now, but there's a lot of good things we're doing. It's just that there are a lot of areas where we have compromised the health of the sheep to protect the shepherd. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: and I, I just believe we can do better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Scripture talks about that there there is a place for us to go to leadership and, and express our concerns. And I think that's one of the challenges when it comes to, you know, we serve in a smaller church, so I'm thinking CEO, CFO, like that language doesn't really compute for me here in Montana. And yet it can still kind of feel like there's a big distance that as lay people who may have some concerns that they would be able to go to their their pastor, their shepherd. And share it, and that it wouldn't feel like an attack. We were just talking about in ladies' Bible study about how do we speak the truth in love? You know, how do we risk being rejected? How do we share legitimate concerns without doing it in the wrong spirit? And I think that's. You know, that's, I'm so grateful that we're really given the outline in God's word. When you go to the word of God, the New Testament, especially Paul's epistles, it kind of outlines how do we handle these sort of things. So it's being willing to be biblical rather than political.
1: Yes. And women, we have a bad rap anyway. It's like if women go and we say something, then we're gossips. Um, If we raise our voices, we're angry. If we cry, we're emotional. If we are saying it to the strength that we feel, you know, we feel it, then we're raging. And so we as women really have to like temper our hearts and our minds and our emotions before going in with our scepter, like let my people go, you know, and really kind of have to think through how am I going to say this in a way that is coherent, that is concise, that is biblical, that is expressing concern, but also urgency without sounding emotional. So there are so many layers to being a woman who has been called to bring change to the church.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yet there we have Esther, you know, that's the study we're doing and and God placed her strategically. But I love what she did. She went to prayer she mm-hmm. went to prayer to find out God's mind and God's heart, and then she waited on God's timing. And I love it's that that one evening between the dinner invitation and the actual dinner that was the evening where God brought to mind uh, Mordecai and mm-hmm. how can we honor that man. And so I think it's this balance between being a woman on a mission. Yep, you know because we can get driven by the flesh, and I don't know about anyone else, but my flesh ain't pretty or right. we can be led by the spirit. And I think that's I think it we really have to take what may truly be discernment from God. But if we're not careful, our flesh can really wrap up around it.
1: And it's that that meekness, that power under control that is really something that I've had to work on having a large Instagram presence where I am aggressively approached a lot of times by church people about my stance on certain things. And I have to really remember that that power under control is very important if we're going to see change. You just, you cannot react emotionally.
0: Absolutely. We were talking about that this morning too. You know, James and John, they're really upset with the city in Samaria that refused to let Jesus stay. And so they go to Jesus and say, would you like us to call down fire from heaven? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <You're right. laughs> like,
0: like they could even could. And Jesus said these words, "Oh, you do not know what spirit you are of." And yeah. even as Christians, we can do the right thing the wrong way. So we I mean, men and women alike, yes, we really need to have the mind of Christ, yep, absolutely. Well, this has been so, so powerful. I'd love to have you tell us where people can get in connection with you. I love your Instagram page and just a lot of the things that you're doing. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, you can follow all along with us on the Instagram Raise to Stay uh, account. It's probably our most robust community, and then we have some larger communities over on Facebook under Natalie Runyon and Raise to Stay as well. And you can get the book on Amazon. You can get it at Walmart, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble. It's kind of wherever books are sold.
0: Yes, and you guys, honestly, it is so good. You are an incredible writer, my friend. Oh, like thank I'm just. You. <laughs> I'm reading and I'm like, you just, it just, yeah, super good book. Super good book. And I'm excited to dig more into it. Well, as we come to the end of this, um, You know, I just really do believe there are so many hurting people out there in the body of Christ. And, you know, we may have tried to kind of shove it down and say, well, it doesn't matter. People are people. Or maybe we built walls to try to protect ourselves. Or maybe there's some listeners out there who said, you know what, I just watch online. It's just you know, just a whole lot easier not to be up too close to people. And yet the Bible clearly says that we we really need each other and we shouldn't forsake the meeting together and all the more as the day approaches. And so I would just love to have you pray over the women, the people listening today.
1: Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your church. We thank you, God, that the church is your idea. It was built on you, our chief cornerstone, the rock that the builders rejected. God, it is a foundation. You are the foundation of this church, God, and you love your bride. And even when we misbehave, even when we are not unified as we should be, God, you are constantly drawing us first to you and then to one another. And so I just pray, God, for those who have been hurt by the shepherds who were supposed to protect them and the institutions that were supposed to house them. God, I pray, Lord, that their hearts and their spirits, God, that they would begin to heal through the supernatural power of your name. God, that even though we're not in a rush for our healing, God, we are desperate, Lord, to not be isolated and and scared Mm -hmm. and mad. God, I I just pray for anger to diminish, God, for offenses to be dropped, Lord, and for there to be a new resolve in our spirits, God, to just give those who have hurt us to you. Hmm. and to be able to set them free from the prisons of our hearts so that we can live our lives fully and, and full and abundant. And so I pray, God, that those who have been saying they just rather stay home, God, that you would invite them into community that is safe for them to do and that they would burn with passion to see other people come to know you and have a desire to go back into community. I pray for Those who are um, in the middle of the hurt right now, working in the church, having to look at the one who has hurt them every day, God, give them stamina, give them patience, give them perseverance, God, give them an uncommon grace and patience, Lord, as you are working the situation out. And God, I pray for those who have been abused, Lord, that Mm. you would, God, move through counselors and medication and however it is that you need to move, Lord, to see them fully restored body, mind, spirit. God, that they would be able to find a safe place, God, where they can go and have their experiences with church leaders um, made new. God, they'd be able to go in and meet a pastor who's healthy, who's going to be for them and not going to hurt them, Lord, and that they would be um, protected, Lord. And I just ask God for your family to be united like never before, mm-hmm. God, for your kids to come back yes. home and Lord, for there to be a true remnant that will rise up and be the last day's church, God. And we thank Mm -hmm. you that we get to watch all of these healings happen before us, God, and that we get to be part of the church that heals. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Well, I hope you were as blessed by this conversation as I was. I'd love to hear what spoke most to you in the episode. You'll find the video version of this interview over on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Joanna Weaver. You can watch the interview again or just leave a comment. I love responding and starting a conversation around what you've heard. My channel also features other living room interviews and solo shows like the one I just posted called Five Ways to Grow Your Gratitude. I hope you'll check it out. And hey, it is that time of the year. If you're looking for Christmas gifts, I've created several bundles to go along with signed copies of my book, Embracing Trust. You can learn more about the different options over at joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash gifts. Well, until next time, you guys, let's give our hurt, our disappointment, discouragement, even our disillusionment with the church. Let's give it all to Jesus. Because as we allow him to heal and renew our hearts and refresh our love for his people, well, that's how we're going to live and love and lead like him.